believe that the church should be a perfect place, filled with perfect people, a place where you can come and be loved and accepted. The truth is, the church is a place where rough, dirty pieces of common clay are thrown together under extraordinary heat, pressure, and time. It is a place where we become beautiful in the hand of God. I'm going to share some of that extraordinary process with you, a process that leaves me today with a deep love for the church. No matter what condition she is in, she is still the place where we will find the satisfaction that will fill the ancient ache in all of our hearts, a longing for restoration, reconciliation, and community. I was on the backside of the mountain again. It was a bleak place where the sun seldom shines and the wind blows unhurried, unhindered by barren terrain. Most of us feel this way at one time or another in our life. I know that. But I couldn't help wondering why I seem to find myself there so often. And being back after so many positive experiences only reinforced the doubts that had haunted me all of my life. Those doubts told me something is really wrong with you. Night is dark in more, days, in more ways than a simple absence of light. It's a time when your mind takes wings and flies to places you simply don't want to go. In the midnight hours, situations are blown out of proportion. Everything seems bigger than it actually is. Worst of all, you can't do a thing about it. In the night, you lay awake hour after hour with only the sound of your own breathing to cover the voices louder than a jet plane that shout doom and destruction to your heart. After leaving Church of the Resurrection, the cycle repeated itself. I spent every night thinking over everything that had taken place in the past few months. And each time I did, my heart began to quiver. Each night, the question came, why did they do this to me? Why does everybody leave me? And each night, the big question came, surfacing slowly into the gloom of my mind like a deadly submarine. Again, I repeat this, what is wrong with me? Can you see the pattern here? You know, everything in my life seemed to be good and then it would just fall apart. It had to be me. It could not be when the same things seemed to happen time and time again. I looked forward to the coming weekend. I had been invited to teach at an Elgin Vineyard women's retreat. Many people I had known from my early days in the vineyard were now part of that church, which meant I was going to be able to see old friends and make new connections. As I prepared my teaching, I searched for a quote I had read several times before. I knew it was in one of my study Bibles, but I just simply couldn't seem to find it. Then I remembered. Hidden away, behind all my other books and study books and Bibles, was the Bible that William had given me when I was ordained a deacon in the Anglican Church. In the front of that Bible was a blessing that he had written to me on that joyful occasion. After the disappointments and heartache of leaving the church, I had been tempted to throw the whole Bible away. But somehow I just couldn't bring myself to put it in the trash, couldn't do it. Instead, I pushed it behind all the other books and thought, I will never use this Bible again. But time had passed and the emotions were no longer so strong. 
I reached back, pulled it out, and used it to prepare for the weekend. It was a beautiful day and my heart was light. I felt happy. I loaded my books and briefcases into the passenger side of the car and took off for the church. As I headed north on Route 21, I hit several of the potholes and broken places in the road that were so prominent on that stretch of pavement. The first time it hit a bump, the Bible, which was lying on top of the other material, flew open to the page where William had written the blessing. I reached over and closed it. But time and time again, I hit broken places in the road, and each time that Bible continued to fall open to the same place. Time and time again, I reached over and closed it. After several rounds of this, my heart was no longer light, and I was no longer happy. In fact, I was raging. I was angry. I reached over, grabbed the page, and ripped it out of the Bible. With all the strength I could muster, I squeezed it into a little ball, pitched it on the floor, and said, there, that will take care of that. The traffic was light that morning, and I arrived at the church before anyone else. I pulled a grocery bag out of the back seat and began throwing any papers, wrappers, and other junk that accumulated over the days. When I took hold of the wad of paper that I had thrown on the floor, I unfolded it and began to read. As I did, a dam broke inside of me. I began to weep. The paper felt alive, as if it were breathing and crying with me. It read, 3 December 1995 ordination, Pat. As Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, Luke 7:12. Charge, just as the widow at Nain wept on behalf of her children, and the Lord said to him, get up. You have wept on pleaded of the Lord on behalf of your children and your many spiritual children, and the Lord has raised them up. May the Lord continue to strengthen your knees and grant you courage and prayer as you continue to raise up followers of Christ. As you walk forward, welcome and receive for the sake of their own soul the care given to you by your many children, William. God, why did this happen, I cried. Why am I always left alone? Why do I feel so abandoned by the people that I love and I trust? Why, Lord, they seem like my enemies, but I know that they're not. A moment of sanity hit me here. I know that they're not. They are my brothers and sisters. We are one family with one father. Lord, why do we hurt one another? The tears flowed down my face and onto the paper as I squeezed it in my hand. It was as though I were being cleansed. I began to flatten it against the steering wheel in an attempt to iron out the wrinkles. Then something else happened. In an instant, I felt the heavy weight of oppression lift from my heart. I was no longer crying. Instead, I felt joy flooding over my soul. Lord, I know William meant this blessing when he wrote it and spoke it over me. I will not let it go. I will not let William go. And I will not let go of this blessing. They are real, they were real, and they are mine. 
I will not allow the enemy of my soul to take one more person or one more blessing from me. I will hold on to all of these people. I choose to love. I choose to forgive. I choose to trust. They are my family, and I will not rest until you have brought reconciliation to our lives. I trust in you and hang on to you, and I will not let go, not of one of them. And as I said that, I powdered my nose, put on fresh lipstick, entered the church, and had a great time. The piece of paper that I retrieved from the floor and straightened out on my steering wheel was still a crumpled mess. When I got home that evening, I placed the paper under my phone, hoping that the weight would straighten it out some. I went about my week and didn't give the paper another thought. It was late when I returned one night after a meeting and I reached the top of my stairs. I noticed that the light on my phone was blinking. I had a message. I slipped into my office and hit the play button. Uh, hello, Pat, this is William. I'm calling to tell you how very sorry I am for everything that's happened between us and your work at the church. Would you please call me? I would love to meet with you and spend some time together. I miss you and love you. I was stunned. I pulled into the parking lot and sat there staring out my windshield. I'd arrived a little early and was grateful to have a minute or two in which to collect my thoughts before I met with William and Ann. I prayed silently in the front seat of my car for several moments and then slid out and headed up the steps of the restaurant. That's when I saw them. They were sitting at a little table watching me. It had been two years since we had been face to face. Two years of pain and grief. Two years filled with tears. Two years of wondering what had happened. As I looked into their eyes, I saw a flash of uncertainty and fear. I am sure they saw the same thing in mine. But it all melted away the moment we embraced one another. And then I was looking into the eyes that had held so much love and compassion. The same eyes that had had such a powerful effect on me was the first time I met William Beasley. Pat, I don't know how all of this happened, he said, but I am so sorry. I am sorry you got hurt. I'm sorry I didn't defend you and stand beside you. Can you ever forgive me? I could, I had, and I told him. Can this really be happening, I thought. The words they had spoken were like springs of living water rushing over me, refreshing me and bringing me new life. If I live to be 100 years, I will not forget that meeting. I assured them that I did love them and had already forgiven them, and I asked their forgiveness for any part that I had played in the situation and for anything that I had done to hurt them. Surreal. That is the only way I can describe my feelings that day as I drove home from lunch with William and Ann and very, very good. On that day, the day William and Ann and I reconciled, heaven rejoiced. I know it did. And the enemy of our souls ran screaming away. He had lost this battle and was about to lose many more. I can't help but believe that he knew it. Even in such a terrible situation, God was overcoming evil with good and bringing his church together through repentance forgiveness, and reconciliation. I had been in Illinois for 12 years. I had moved 10 times. My feet never found a place to take root 
and my heart never found a place to call home. I was completely exhausted. Those years were filled with the greatest joys and the deepest sorrows. Everything started beautifully, but seemed to end in shambles. After my reconciliation with William, I began to look back over my life, especially over the ups and downs of Illinois. What was the common link? What were the threads that held it all together? Why did I find myself in places of favor, acceptance and love, only to experience betrayal and abandonment? Why did I always respond with panic, running, and hiding? And in the midst of that contemplation, I had a breakthrough. I realized the betrayal, abandonment, panic, running, and hiding were all part of an undisputable pattern in my life. They were themselves the, the joining threads. I had been a survivor. I learned to survive. Keep your head up. Press on. Follow the path. Go to the next door. And I had maintained the appearance of being just fine all that time. But such denial is never a good thing because it's not real. The loss of fellowship of so many of my church family and loved ones, friends and co-workers was incomprehensible. If I had really faced it head on, I don't believe I would have survived emotionally. So I ran and hid. I went deep into myself. I turned my back on it all and became very dead inside. That day in front of the Elgin Vineyard, the day I read William's Blessing and wept myself clean, I finally stopped. I stopped running. I stopped hiding. That day God took me back to face a daddy who loved me but was gone most of the time. I looked into the face of a husband who had loved me and betrayed me and left me alone to care for myself. I looked at the first church in Illinois and saw the same pattern again and then again at Church of the Resurrection alone to care for myself. Finally, I saw the pattern, and that day I stood before the enemy of my soul and the God that I loved and refused to go on with that pattern any longer. It is finished. It is done. I will not let go of this blessing I had cried. I will not let go of the one that I love, this brother in Christ. I had pleaded with God to help me, to help us, to heal, to restore what was lost. I had stood against the weapons that had been formed against me, rejection, betrayal, abandonment. Isaiah says that the weapon formed against us shall not prosper, but it will accomplish the purpose that God formed it to do. And that day, the weapon that had been used to destroy me became the weapon in the hand of God to set me free. I faced my enemy that day, and I overcame after my lunch with William and Ann, I began to think about other people that I loved that, ha that I had not been in fellowship with in recent years. With a soldier's intensity, I got out my photo album and found pictures of each one of them. I marched to the kitchen, removed everything from the side of my refrigerator, and placed each of the pictures in full view. Every time I went through my kitchen, I would have to look at the faces of the people I was not in fellowship with. And each time I did, I prayed for them. I prayed that God would bless them, that he would keep them, and that he would love them. And I covenanted with God and to love them and speak only good of them. I would not let go even of one of them ever. 
Some days I would walk by those pictures and stop and almost laugh. What in the world was I doing? Some of these relationships probably could be restored, I reasoned, but many of them were completely out of the question. It was never happen. Still, you know what? I didn't care about the odds. I was committed to love them, and I would stay committed to love them until our day of reconciliation came. If that meant they would be on my refrigerator until the day I died, I didn't care. I would not remove them. Only God could by restoring what had been stolen. Even as I tell you this, I'm reminded of our limits as human beings. The truth is there was one person that I did not put up on my fridge, one relationship that was so broken I felt it could never be restored, that was, there had just been too much pain and the wounds were way too deep. So even in the midst of my glorious awakening, I never included that particular relationship. I simply numbed my heart and tried to forget. But you know God's faithful. One by one, he restored the relationships in my life that have been broken. For years now, I've had the privilege and joy of witnessing firsthand what love and forgiveness and stubbornness hanging on can do. And it's a joy beyond belief, and it outweighs the pain of the process a million times. Several years after my day with William and I met, there were only three relationships remaining on my, on my refrigerator that weren't reconciled, only three, and there had probably been 15. Two were still on the refrigerator, and remember, one had never been placed there. In January 2004, I received a phone call. I recognized the voice immediately. It was a young woman that I had loved and mentored for a long time but we hadn't spoken in over eight years. She was calling to tell me how sorry she was that our relationship was broken. Could we please start over? The answer was yes. I removed her picture and the list was down down to two. One picture and one not there. It was as though I were an outsider observing and watching a master's level chess game taking place along the board of my life. Strategically, one piece had been moved by an invisible hand, and then another, then another, until just the right moment, checkmate, God wins. Soon after that, I was informed that another friend whose senior single picture was hanging on my refrigerator was dying. She had cancer. I didn't want to upset her, and I assumed this would not be good for me to try to go and visit her. Uh, I wasn't sure she wanted to see me. But I knew her caretaker and I gave her caretaker a call. I asked her to give Judy my love and tell her that I was praying for her. Within a few hours, I got another phone call. It was Judy. And she invited me to come and visit her. She did want to see me. I visited the next day and we had a precious time. And to make a long story short, we, hit, we forgave one another. And she was one of the most stubborn, hard-headed women I have ever been in relationship with. This, this was just a pure miracle. Of course, the fact she was dying might have had something to do with it. But we even laughed as we talked about old times and friends. I scheduled another visit for, with her the next week, but I never got to see her again. She fell into a coma and died several days after my visit. God's timing is incredible. Judy's picture was the only one remaining on my refrigerator. I took it down, carefully placed it in my photo album. There was only one broken relationship remaining, the one I felt was lost forever. 
And yes, at Judy's funeral, and yet at Judy's funeral one week later, I saw her. The only person in my life that I was not reconciled with. She, Judy, and I had been mutual friends during my first years in Illinois. And now, here, here we were. By the death of our dear friend, God had brought us together. She was sitting in the row right in front of me. The funeral was quite long, and I had to leave before it was over. I got up quietly, headed toward the door, leading the back hall. As I started through the door, I felt a hand on my shoulder. I turned around and, to my utter amazement, looked into the eyes of my old friend, a woman I hadn't spoken to in 14 years. She fell into my arms crying, and I began to cry with her. We expressed our love and sorrow at the loss of our friend and our friendship. Could we possibly start over? Somehow I knew that Judy was looking down, smiling, because this is the only thing that could have brought us together. So yes, in Christ there are always new beginnings. My list of broken relationships is now completely gone. And I continued to stand against the weapon formed against me. Is it hard at times? Yes. Old patterns die very hard. But is it worth it? Oh my goodness, yes. And I remind myself that the battle has already been won. All I have to do is stand in it. And that's the thing that took place that day. A resolve came over me that said, I will not let them go. I will speak only what is good. I will believe only what is good. I choose to love. And I choose to hold on to God because I didn't go to mend one of these relationships. I didn't speak one word to one of them to try to mend these relationships. I simply said, God, I am not letting go to you mend these relationships. And when we choose to stand and believe only what is right and good and pure, and when we speak only those things that are edifying, and when we choose to love and we choose to stand, never giving up, God and Christ the great reconciler comes and he reconciles all things to himself. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, that you do make our lives a living testimony. And I thank you that I was able to experience all of this, this beauty for ashes. All that that had been stolen by the enemy brought back so beautifully. And I pray for relationships in this room now, and church bodies, and families, and, and neighborhoods, and churches. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the heart of Jesus, that would stand in the gap, and that would believe, Lord, for the good. Because that is your heart, and you are love. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage each heart here to stand before God trusting. Because really, this is not our job. It is yours.
but we need to do our part. And that part is by loving and trusting. So I commit this into your hands, Lord, and I thank you so much for this day and all that you've done in this day. In Jesus' name.